Hello, brothers and sisters. My name is Rich. I'll be the narrator for this podcast. I'll be reading the preface or the introduction to the new St. Joseph Sunday Missal. I'm reading from the large type edition, the complete masses for the Sundays, holy days, and the sacred Paschal Tridium. Uh, with the people's parts of the Holy Mass printed in bold-faced type, which you won't be able to see, of course, and arranged for parish participation. This particular missal was put together in accord with the third typical edition of the Roman Missal, with the New American Bible text from the Revised Sunday Lectionary, short helpful notes and explanations, and a treasury of popular prayers. It is dedicated to St. Joseph, who is the patron of the Universal Church, and this book is published by Catholic Book Publishing Corporation from New Jersey. It's published with the approval of the Committee on Divine Worship, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. The St. Joseph Missals have been diligently prepared with the invaluable assistance of a special board of editors, including specialists in liturgy, sacred scripture, catechists, sacred music, and art. ISBN number is 978-0-089. 942-822-2 Copyright 2012 and 2021 by Catholic Book Publishing Corporation New Jersey catholicbookpublishing.com Let's begin our journey of the preface In the words of the Second Vatican Council in the Constitution on the Liturgy The Mass, quote, is an action of Christ, the priest, and of his body, which is the church. It is a sacred action, surpassing all others. No other action of the church can equal its efficacy by the same title and to the same degree, end quote. Hence, the Mass is a sacred sign something visible which brings the invisible reality of Christ to us in the worship of the Father. The Mass was first instituted as a meal at the Last Supper and became a living memorial of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Quote, At the Last Supper, on the night when he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood, He did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the centuries until he should come again, and so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is eaten, the mind is filled with grace, and the pledge of future glory is given to us. The church, therefore, earnestly desires that Christ's faithful, 
when present at this mystery of faith, should not be there as strangers or silent spectators. On the contrary, through a good understanding of the rites and prayers, they should take part in the sacred action, conscious of what they are doing, with devotion and full collaboration. They should be instructed by God's word and be nourished at the table of the Lord's body. They should give thanks to God by offering the immaculate victim, not only through the hands of the priests, but also with him. They should learn also to offer themselves through Christ. The Mediator They should be drawn day by day into ever more perfect union with God and with each other, so that God may be all in all. To ensure that each layman who has an office to perform will do all of, but only, those parts which pertain to his office. A simple method of identification of the various parts of the Mass has been designed using different typefaces. A boldface type clearly identifies all people's parts for each mass. A lightface type indicates the priest, deacons, or the lector's parts. In order to enable the faithful to prepare for each mass at home and so participate more actively at mass, the editors have added a treatment of the liturgical year and an introduction of the order of Mass, all geared to the spiritual needs of daily life. Among the many other valuable features are the easy-to-follow traditional missal arrangement, easy-to-read large type, inspiring illustrations, and a handy calendar that gives the date and the page of every Sunday's Mass. Also included in this popular selection of private prayers and devotions for daily use. We trust that all of these special features will help Catholics who use this new St. Joseph Missal to be led, in keeping with the desire of the Church, to that full, conscious, and active participation in liturgical celebrations, which is demanded by every, but, sorry, to that full, conscious, and active participation in liturgical celebrations which is demanded by the very nature of the liturgy. This is the narrator's own notes. For those of you that don't know, uh, the liturgical year uh, repeats on a cycle every uh, fourth year. It starts the first year again. So there's three uh, portions of liturgical years, and they're represented by the first three letters of the alphabet, A being the current year, which is why I'm recording this. Liturgical year, the next liturgical year is B, and then the next, the, the third liturgical year is the letter C. Those are just my own comments. I'll return to narrating from the Missal. Every Sunday, the church keeps the memory of our Lord's Paschal mystery. She sanctifies time, 
consecrates it to God, and as it were, inserts us into the history of salvation. Within the cycle of a year, she unfolds the whole mystery of Christ, from his foreshadowings in the Old Testament to his majestic life and work in the New Testament. Thus, the feast of the liturgical year are first of all celebrations of the history of salvation. The mysteries of our salvation are to be honored, not as something past, but as something present. For while the act itself, such as Christ's birth, death, resurrection, ascension, and the descent of the Holy Spirit, is in the past, its effects are present. Each feast puts before our mind the sign of some hidden sac sacred reality which must be applied to us. We should celebrate the mysteries of our salvation as happening now to us, and we should undergo their mystical effects with an open heart. The best way to do so is by an active participation in public worship, aided by the Missal. The basic norm is that each one present at Mass has the right and duty to participate externally in the celebration. Each one, however, doing wholly but solely what pertains to him by reason of the order to which he belongs or to the role assigned to him. In preparing liturgical celebrations, all concerned, whether of clergy or laity, and whether directly interested in ritual or musical or pastoral aspects, should be consulted and should cooperate harmoniously under the leadership of the rector of the church. In order that external participation may produce its full effects, something more is required than mere observance of laws governing the valid and licit celebration. Participation should be internal also. This consists in right dispositions of faith and charity, cooperation with divine grace and effects. This is the narrator's comments. Now, um, the each, each liturgical year, like I said earlier, is denoted by a letter A, B, or C. But within each year, they're further broken down into different parts of the calendar year. And the start of that calendar year is the season of Advent. And the word Advent um, means coming. The next uh, section of the next time period in the liturgical year is Christmas. And as we'll see, Christmas isn't just Christmas Day. After uh, Christmas, we have the first portion of ordinary time. And you'll know it's ordinary time because the priest's vestments uh, that they wear are green. After the first ordinary time, we begin Lent which is the time that it is when I'm recording this. After Lent, 
everybody should realize it comes Easter. And then once Easter is finished, we go back to the second portion of ordinary time. And then after a certain number of weeks of the second portion of ordinary time, the calendar ends, and then the next letter of the liturgical cycle begins. So right now it's uh, cycle A, and then once we're finished with the second portion of the ordinary time, which happens the week before uh, Advent starts, it will then, at next Advent, uh, will become liturgical year B. Okay, now I'm going to go back to uh, narrating each portion of the liturgical year. The word Advent indicates how Christians view the four-week period preceding the Nativity, the Nativity of our Lord. It is time of preparation for an ever more intimate coming of the Lord to you and all of us. When I come to visit a friend, I'm present to him or her. Coming results in being present. Of course, the Lord is already present to his people. Therefore, his coming at Christmas should result in a more intimate presence. People, whether it be friends or lovers, who get to know and love one another better, are becoming more intimately, more personally present to one another. It's a question of opening up and sharing one another's personality. Our preparation for Christ's coming should consist in an even greater opening up to Him who wants to share our human condition in loving care. By preparing for the Lord's coming time and again at Christmas, Christians prepare for His final coming, which will be decisive for you and all human beings. Quote, When He comes again in glory and majesty and all is at last made manifest, many, we, who watch for that day, inherit the great promise in which now we dare to hope. That's preface one of Advent. The next uh, portion of the year is Christmas time. Christmas is not just a commemoration of our Lord's birth but the celebration of the great Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's his great mystery. A wealth of symbolism is used in the prayers and Bible readings of this time to shed some light on the tremendous fact God wants to share our human condition. The light versus darkness theme is perhaps the most primitive one. We have no evidence of Christmas earlier than approximately 330 A.D. A.D. being after the death of Jesus. It appears to have been determined not primarily by our Lord's birth date, which is unknown, but rather by the pagan festival of the winter solstice, when worshippers of the sun celebrated the return of light after the shortest day. At Christmas, 
Christians celebrate the dawn of God's light shining upon human beings who grow through a valley of darkness. Over the centuries, popular piety has sentimentalized Christmas into the well-known, quote, baby Jesus, unquote, cult. This kind of piety is not reflected in the liturgical prayers and Bible readings of the church. The four Christmas Masses, the Feast of the Holy Family, the Solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God, the Epiphany Manifestation of the Lord, and His Baptism, elucidate the various aspects of God's self-disclosure in the Lord Jesus, in whom He is really Emmanuel, God with us. In the mystery of the Word made flesh, a new light of your glory has shone upon the eyes of our mind, so that, as we recognize in Him, God made visible, we may be caught up through Him in love of things invisible. That's the end of the Christmas uh, section. The next part of the liturgical year is the first part of ordinary time. The Sundays of the major liturgical times of the year are distinguished by their relationship to the solemnities of Christmas, Advent and Christmas, and Easter, Lent and Easter. On the other hand, ordinary time refers to all the other Sundays of the year under the all-embracing heading of celebrations of the day of the Lord. These weeks number 33 or 34, according to the particular character of each year, and are assigned to two parts of the liturgical year. The first part begins with the Sunday after Epiphany, although this first Sunday is perpetually impeded by the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord and continues until Ash Wednesday. Since the date of Easter varies each year, this part may include as few as four and as many as nine weeks. The second part of Ordinary Time begins the day after Pentecost and runs to the Saturday before the first Sunday of Advent. On these Days of the Lord, Christians continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. First, they listen to what Scripture has to say about him in the Liturgy of the Word. The Gospels for this time are a semi-continuous reading of the three synaptic, synoptic Gospels, providing a presentation of each Gospel's distinctive doctrine, as well as a development of the Lord's life and preaching. Those after Epiphany are concerned with the beginning of the Lord's preaching and are related to his baptism and first manifestation. Secondly, Christians commemorate Christ's death and resurrection in the signs of bread and wine. The setting for this memorial, the Lord's Passover sacrifice, is the Eucharistic prayer, the great prayer of thanksgiving and adoration. The next part of the liturgical year is Lent. According to the biblical tradition, Moses stayed on Mount Sinai 
40 days to receive the law of the covenant. Our Lord fasted 40 days in the desert before he started his mission. That was desert in Gethsemane. Christians prepare themselves to celebrate the pastoral mystery of our Lord's death and resurrection by a penitential time of 40 days. Penance is part of the Christian philosophy of life. The way it is done may change. The concept itself cannot be taken out of the Christian life. Penance has to do with sin and conversion. It's the inner aversion from evil in and around us and a generous conversion in love to God that are important. This means to achieve this inner converse. Oh, jeez, sorry. This means to achieve this inner conversion, the traditional Lenten practices of prayer, charitable works, and even fasting should not be considered outdated. However, it is true that the importance of works of penance, which are fasting, abstinence from meat, candy, shows, etc., during Lent may have been overemphasized in the past. They have little value in themselves. What you give up during Lent is a personal decision, but it should be related to that inner conversion to God. By your gracious gift each year, your faithful await the sacred Paschal feasts with the joy of minds made pure, so that more eagerly intent on prayer and on works of charity and participating in the mysteries by which they have been reborn. They may lead to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. The next portion of a single liturgical year is Easter time. In Paul's first letter to the congregation of Corinth, which was in 56 or 57 AD, we have the oldest summary of Christian belief. Paul refers to his former preaching in Corinth in 51 AD and declares that he received this gospel, which means good news, as witnessed by the apostles and Palestinian disciples. Quote, I, Paul, handed on to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So we preach, and so you believed. It's from 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 3 through 5, and verse 11. Some 30 to 50 years later, the evangelists preached the same message, but often drew on local traditions that extensively elaborate on the theme of our Lord's resurrection. There are legendary details in those traditions that have nothing to do with the faith in the resurrection. Each of the gospel traditions as we will read them during Easter time, centers on an all-important appearance to the Twelve in which they are commissioned for their future task, namely, to be witnesses of the Lord who was alive and well 
be with us until the end of the world. Mark chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And this is the Paschal message to all Christians. Following the example of the Bible, Christians celebrate the mystery of our Lord's resurrection for 50 days. The Lord's Ascension and Pentecost are the final memorial days. Our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. That's a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8. through 8. O God, grant, we pray, that we who keep the solemnity of the Lord's resurrection may, through the renewal brought by your Spirit, rise up in the light of life. That's in the Collect for Easter. The final period of the liturgical year is the second occurrence of ordinary time. The second part of ordinary time begins with the day after Pentecost and runs to the Saturday before the first Sunday of Advent. If the number of ordinary weeks is 34, the week after Pentecost is the one that follows immediately the last week celebrated before Lent. The Masses of Pentecost Sunday, the Most Holy Trinity, and in countries where the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ is not observed as a holiday of obligation and is therefore celebrated on the following Sunday. The Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ replace the Sunday Masses in these weeks. If the number of ordinary weeks is 33, the first week that would otherwise follow Pentecost Sunday is omitted. The readings for these Sundays follow a carefully selected arrangement that enables the faithful to become acquainted with the most important passages of both the Old and the New Testaments. The Gospels are taken in almost continuous fashion from Matthew in uh, cycle A, Mark in cycle B, and Luke in cycle C. The parts of John that have not been read before or after Easter are now read after Mark. The Old Testament readings have a specific relationship to the gospel passages and illustrate the main themes of the Old Testament. Finally, there is also a self, no, a semi-continuous reading of the letters of Paul and James, which provides practical application of the gospel teachings. This concludes uh, today's podcast on the preface to the new St. Joseph edition of the Sunday Missal. God, may God bless you and have a great day.